I think that I love you all, but that artists are just the hardest on themselves. There's nothing to apologize for. Like, what are you saying sorry for? That that you are are trying? I'm not. I'm not sorry that you're trying. Why are you sorry? This is the Community of Theatre podcast, where we shine a spotlight on the community theatres, the local theatres, the amateur educational and outreach theatres, the not-for-profit theatres of all kinds that stage over 25,000 productions across America every year. Today I'm joined once again by representatives from the Broke Thespians Theatre Company in San Marcos. But we're not talking about the company in general this time, rather their upcoming show, Love and Information. I'm joined by director Katie Henderson. Hello. Assistant Director Adrian Velasquez. Hello. And cast member Summer Jones. Hi. So in my experience, and my experience is primarily community theaters trending rural, so it might not be wholly representative, but in that experience, when live theater pushes boundaries, it does so by tackling a hard or taboo subject matter. It's very unusual for a show to instead challenge the structure of the art form itself, but I think that's exactly what Love and Information does. So, Katie, could you introduce the premise of this script and how it diverges from the standard narrative structure? Yeah. So, narratively, Love and Information is not a traditional script. A traditional script comes with named characters. It comes with usually pre-established relationships, stage directions. They may even help you out in terms of like props lists, technical cues, all that kind of stuff. And we don't have any of that. (laughs) Uh, We only have words. It reads like a stream of consciousness, Mm -hmm. like someone just was given a pen and told to write without stopping. Uh, not even for punctuation. So our job as a cohort is to take Love and Information, the script, and formulate context, build these relationships, build entire worlds from nothing, and change lines based off of whether we insert a question mark or an exclamation point, and that may change day by day. We try new things every time we run it. And the entire story changes because of it. And so it's just a lot to keep track of, but it's got a lot of potential to be very exciting because of that. That is that is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that is a huge departure from just the way things are normally done. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, as it, I think it's the previous episode, mm-hmm. but I was talking to a different director about how constrained theater feels normally because there's so little you're actually allowed to change, particularly the script. Mm -hmm. The script is this sacrosanct thing where you aren't allowed to change the gender of a character. You aren't allowed to take out lines. You aren't allowed to do so much. But this just, it's the opposite in so many ways. I don't even know where to begin. Like, which of these things has had the biggest impact? Well, let me ask a clarifying question, I suppose. Are you intended in this script to come up with a performance that you're going to repeat each night? Or does it change performance to performance? I think that's up to the cohort. I don't think that's impossible to kind of go off the rails, so to speak, and Uh kind of make it your own. Um, That's not our intention, our personal intention. Our intention is once things are set and feel good, that we commit to those things Mm -hmm. and that we perform them the same every night. But the thing is... 
while our every night of our run may be the same. Mm-hmm. Our production of Love and Information, you could see that on Friday night. And hypothetically speaking, if someone in the next town over was also putting on this production, you could go see that Saturday night. And you may ha- walk away with a completely different story. So it can change based off of whose hands are holding it. So you're eight, nine days out from opening right now. Mm-hmm. In every show I've ever been in, everything was set by now. Or at least if it wasn't, we were panicked because it wasn't set. Mm-hmm. And you'd be just trying to make everything polished and smooth. Are you at that same place or are things still in flux? Well, I think one of the major things that we're focusing on right now is polishing up the like performance aspect with the actors, but also getting into the space and working out all of the technical just i guess wrinkles in this project there's a lot of things we're trying to implement into this show we want well first off our version of love information is going to be performed in the round which if uh, people don't know the stage is in the middle of four sides where the audience will be sitting so the audience will be surrounding the performance and the stage the entire time so one of the goals that we had in this scenario was we wanted to add soundscapes. So for such an intimate show, we really wanted to drive the point that they're going to be enveloped into all of these stories and just this kaleidoscope of life. And we want not just what they're seeing to immerse them, but what they're hearing. So you'll hear a lot of audio cues and soundscapes surrounding them and moving across the stage. And it, it should be a very inventive and creative way for the audience to enjoy the show. Well, let me back up to how you even came to be producing this show. Was this your idea, Katie, or so yeah. you, you pitched this to the board? Yeah. So in the season pitches, when they mm-hmm. made the call for directors, um, you have to come in with a pitch. I know that it's it operates differently with other companies, mm-hmm. but you want to be a director on the season, you have to come in with a pitch. And so I had been wanting to do Love and Information for years. I first read it in 2015, and I already knew that it was going to be on my future list. And have you seen productions of it? Uh, yes. Okay. So I was like, already studied it in school, mm-hmm. saw some professional productions, and I was like, yeah, I want to take on the challenge. So yeah, I came in with a pitch. I already had a set design. I already had an expectation for technical elements. I already knew what my cast size was going to be. I, <laughs> you have to advocate for your show. You have to say you have to admit to the weaknesses mm-hmm. and the challenges, and you have to come up with solutions of how you're going to overcome those things. And they, I guess, I was convincing enough because here I am. So you mentioned the cast size. I assume that is fluid. It can be done with huge variants. Yeah, actually, there was a production done with two people. Mm -hmm. And then there was a production that was done with 110. (laughs) And how many do you have? Seven. Okay, which I assume is much closer to the average. Uh, I think the average is 50. I think that that's like the... The baseline, the most common, I think people have really, really large cast Five zero, size. not one five. Five zero. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that would not fit in the price center very well. <laughs> mm, no. No. <laughs> so can you say a little bit more about what drew you to this then? Um, What drew it to me, I think, was a huge lack of opportunity to take on a challenge like that. Mm-hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with, you know, traditional approaches. They have their space sure. in, in just like in any art form. 
but I felt that I had something lacking academically in school, in my community theaters. I felt that we weren't, even though we totally could, mm-hmm. I was looking at people and going, you totally can do this and take on this challenge. You're honestly in a better position than maybe I could be, but you're not. And I was getting kind of mad about it. Yeah. And I was like, Broke Thespians absolutely has the pull to bring people to want to audition for this, to want to tackle the technical challenges, to take take real lessons from it rather than just showing up, reading your lines and going home. Mm-hmm. Like I want a real lesson, like real painful growth almost. Like I was ready for mm-hmm. the pain. And so that's what drew me to it is I was like, this is scary and I don't even know where to start. Therefore, it must be good. Have you found it to be painful? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but in the best way. In the challenging yeah. sense. Exactly. Like it's it absolutely is a in the same way that a physical workout of hitting the gym. It's painful, but you know that you're going to leave being glad that you did it. So how has the pro- how did you go about the process of actually dividing up the lines between which actor is going to say what? So it's super collaborative. It's one of the most collaborative parts was actually getting the scenes to be what the scenes would be if that makes any sense at all, that dividing of the lines or defining the characters, that all happens in the first blocking rehearsal, or or that's how we did it. Okay. It is a mixture of what Katie has in mind and just whatever is drawing us to the script. So how did, uh, in in a typical show, you know who your character is going to be, you know their name, you can derive a lot of information about them from the script. In this case, how did you build character in contrast to the way you do that in almost every other show? Right. I was thinking about that. I think the main thing about developing a character in love and information is that you first have to delve yourself into the idea mm-hmm. of what that scene is trying to express. First of all, what the whole text is trying to express and then what that particular scene is trying to express. And then you can build a character off of that almost as if you are a writer and you are building your theme of the play, and then you can build your character within the theme of the play. But you show up to that first rehearsal not knowing any of that, I presume. That starts then in this case? Yes. And did you get through in that first rehearsal the entire process of divvying up the lines? No, not not really. Once the scene is blocked, we were mostly set on what we would say. It changed, it developed, it grew throughout lines were but even what you're saying right there is counterintuitive to me that you were able to start the blocking process before determining the lines yes we started with an idea in mind of what our lines were going to be Mm -hmm. as we went on as we tried the scene more and more times people would join in on a line or we would say part of the line together Mm -hmm. something like that i am sure in other productions of love and information it was completely derailed and you would <laughs> you would change entirely and by the time you got to final dress rehearsal your lines would be completely different from how they were in blocking mm-hmm. that's a whole other challenge yeah i think in the beginning it was definitely just like you just got to rip it off like a bandaid mm-hmm. mm. like no matter how like much that you stare at each other and are like now what like you just have to do it so the first other than the read through the first true on our feet rehearsal was just that it was very much me going all right let's block this thing you two are in this scene so get up and then like (laughs) just start talking and see what happens and I would try to help I would try to be like uh let's how about you start on the first line Mm -hmm. right and then we would see like okay well I know I'm gonna start the scene 
So then we'll see where the conversation naturally flows. You know, if something of interest happened, we would latch onto that. Every And everyone, we have this thing where we say, like, to raise our hand and say, <laughs> may I make a suggestion? Mm-hmm. Um, and that just, like, speaks to the spirit of the entire process is it's just a lot of us being like, oh, can yeah. I make a suggestion? And trying to be cool about it and trying to be like, that was really exciting. And mm-hmm. can I please suggest a relationship, a location, a action, a delivery in just like a really respectful way. And everyone's like taking it on. Everyone's just like soaking it up and helping each other to flesh this stuff out. A couple of things you said just there tie into this narrative I have in my head about broke thespians in general, and which I think is probably pretty obvious to anyone who's listened to the previous episodes about the broke thespians. And uh, I've begun jokingly saying that it's it's artisanal, ethically sourced theater. But it's it's... It's very modern in a good way in that the company seems to have an ethos that is driving its its creation and growth of actually creating theater in a fundamentally different way than most theater companies. It's like the the putting on a show doesn't exactly come first. Treating people well and creating a safe space comes mm. first. And then your second priority is put on a show. Mm. And it sounds... And I'm also... <laughs> trying to reference back to the previous show that you and I, Katie, did together where you were stage managing yes. um, in Lovesick. And first or second rehearsal, you announced no apologizing <laughs> and you continued to enforce that. And this feels like, the, I, I, I'm not sure what exactly the through line is, but do you see it there? The no apologizing or? No apologizing oh, and kind of Being this... unapologetic, yes. Being unapologetic and I guess forgiving before the apology. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that, I think, I love you all, but that artists are just the hardest on themselves. Mm -hmm. They are the meanest of anybody. I don't know anybody else in any other profession or hobby that is just so blatantly mean to themselves. And I think that when we go into a rehearsal space, for me, and I like to say for Broke Thespians too, we want to just acknowledge the fact that we're all beating ourselves up mm-hmm. and that this is hard. So just don't apologize. Don't apologize. We already know it's hard. There's nothing to apologize for. Like, what are you saying sorry for? That that it hurts your brain? Or that you <laughs> are are trying? I'm not, I'm not sorry that you're trying. Why are you sorry? Mm-hmm. And so just like already entering and saying, hey, you're forgiven. I don't know what you've done yet, and I don't know what you're thinking, <laughs> but I just let it know it's cool, and you don't have to apologize about that. So that's been really, really important, is like we have a really good energy in the space because mm-hmm. we, I mean, I'm just really lucky that we, everyone in the room, when I said, we need to not apologize, mm-hmm. keeps each other accountable. It's not me harping. It's everyone, even to myself. Even they turn it back on me, and they're like, hey. <laughs> you know, even things that kind of sound like apologies, things that are like, oh, I'll do better. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't say the words, I'm sorry, but it sounds like you're apologizing <laughs> for something and I don't want to hear it. So do you think that approach and ethos to making theater in general, is that harder or easier with this particular show with love and information? I think it's easier. I think you just got to call it like it is. <laughs> <laughs> I think that we shouldn't have to pretend like it's kind of what you were saying earlier about like not having to worry about being so academic Mm -hmm. 
I don't like that. I don't like it when people walk in and think that they already are the smartest person or that they already know everything. I would actually really, I love being not the smartest person. I would actually prefer that. When I start to become the smartest person, I leave. <laughs> um, so I feel like it's easier just to say like, we're not the smartest people. Mm-hmm. We're not the smartest people. Let's just rip it off, rip it off like a Band-Aid and just move past it and stop apologizing. And I think that it's easier with something like this because it is objectively hard. It's objectively odd. Yeah. So going back to the mechanics of this rehearsal process and and doing this particular, is there a, a term for this type of show? I, I feel like I heard that it's a derived or something it's like that. It's devised theater. Devised theater. So that is a general term for what this is. Some people may also call it physical theater. Okay. But yes. And is it an actual genre or is this show quite unique? Uh, no, it's a genre. Yeah, devised work, physical theater. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, back to, to, to your production. At what point did all of the things gel? I mean, was it really... And I apologize if you feel like you've already answered but this, but was it essentially after the first rehearsal or two, you, you know who's saying what line, and it is just a matter of kind of polishing from there? Or was it much more gradual and evolving over the course of the thing? I think it was pretty set in stone after the first couple of runs. For, also, we don't have that much time with each other. That was a, That's another big element. If we had more time with each other, I think there's a, there's a case to be made for things changing a lot more and developing a lot more. Hmm. But as is life in theater, there's no time. Yeah. There's no time and we must act now and we must be permanent in our decisions and trust those decisions and run with them as far as we can. How does this whole experience feel to you as an actor in comparison to other shows? It's way more fulfilling. Really? Yeah, absolutely. The payoff is way more than a traditional acting experience. And that's probably very personal Mm -hmm. to me. A lot of people would probably prefer to be in something scripted out and take on a big famous role and be in Phantom and all of that. (laughs) I'm sure that's someone else's way more fulfilling dream. But to me, this is the most fulfilling experience experience I can have in the theater. Would you agree with with Katie's assertion that it's also painful in certain ways? Yes. I would it's definitely high risk, high reward. Right. It's you know, it's growing pains and yeah, it's high risk, high reward. You you take on all of that pain and you do all of the work so that you can have the most fulfilling experience possible. So before we started recording, Adrian, I was asking you about uh directing in the past. I think you said this is your first AD. Yes. How do you feel about your first AD experience being such an unconventional work? How has the experience been for you? Honestly, probably couldn't have picked a better show to do this. Really? With. It's it's really going in guns a-blazing. You know, I'm taking on a bit more of a uh, technical lead on this show. You know, I've always been backstage. I, I mean, ADing is also being like behind the scenes, but never to this, I guess, front of the line um, I'm always in the back. I'm always really quiet, and I still am. Uh, but I've always just been really good at taking what we have, following other people's leadership. You know, rolling with the punches, rolling with everyone, and helping create just a really wonderful show. But something interesting about this show is that it's really starting from scratch. You're starting from the ground up, and just seeing how much freedom everyone has with what they're able to do, how they're able to perform and set things up. Mm-hmm. I think that's been one of the most liberating experiences I could probably have in theater, at least to this uh, 
to this point, it's it's been probably the best experience I've had in theater. I think the role of AD is one that's actually probably pretty poorly understood by most people who aren't doing AD work. And I, frankly, am always very hazy on what's involved in it. So this may be a may not be informative to ask what exactly is part of the AD role in this show in particular, because the answer might not apply everywhere else. But what, what was the minute to minute, hour to hour experience like thus far? Well, so far, it you know, uh, Summer touched on it. We are pretty cut short on time, and mm-hmm. sometimes uh, people can't make it, so I'll step in. And I'm not, I'm not an actor, mm-hmm. let me tell you. But uh, <laughs> every time that I step in to uh, like fill in, I gain so much more respect for every actor out there because it reminds me that I am not cut out for it, <laughs> and other people are so incredibly talented like they go up and they're not able to just read lines off of a page but they're becoming someone they want to show other people this person it's such a raw and like real thing to experience at least from an audience and it's like a like a technical standpoint because you're not only like adding a different element to their performance but you're seeing how everything unfolds you're able to see how they how their mind works it's it's nice um as far as other elements of the ad position goes it's generally just trying to help out everyone mm-hmm. and that, that that's the main thing that i really like about theaters that i want to help out as much as i can whether it's moral support or any advice or um if there's any questions if there's anything anyone needs i am more than happy to be one of the lines that people can come to and ask for whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And you bring fruit snacks. Oh, yeah, and fruit snacks. Mm. <laughs> Important. Mm. Well, it's probably premature to ask this since you haven't even opened yet, but how anxious would you be to do this show again, just do a different production? Because I imagine it would be so much more wildly different than doing The Mousetrap again or doing any, you know, standard show that gets done repeatedly. So anything... Carol Churchill is always at the top of my list. She's one of my favorite playwrights. She's right at the edge of creating something fantastic all the time. Mm-hmm. And this would remain at the top of my list to do again. It's one of my favorite works. I would absolutely do this again. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a innovative show. Churchill, you know, she's one of the most influential playwrights of like British contemporary theater. So it's just nice to see how different it can be interpreted in any place that you try to perform it at and i i love the challenges that it's presented and i know if i were to do this again it would present probably just the same if not more challenges and that's just really appealing to me i'm curious given the nature of the work does it have themes in the sense that we talk about shows normally having themes? Are, are they clear? Are they really subject to change depending on your inter- interpretation of the show? There are themes. Uh, the theme of love and information. Uh-huh. Not to like be <laughs> that guy, but it really is. It is a, it's, um, when someone asks me, like, oh, what is love and information about? Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's about everything and nothing at the same time. Mm-hmm. It truly is slice of life, okay? It's about love in all its forms, all of its highs and lows, all of its relationships where it can be found. It can be found in silence. It can be found in really lengthy epics. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And 
our relationship with technology, our relationship with communication, how do we retain information, how do we pass this love on to the next and communicate all those things that are inside, and how do we catch those things and hold on to them, what do we do with them once they're passed, like, you know, it's just stuff like that. There's elements of grief, there's elements of celebration, there's elements of childlike wonder. It just sometimes feels like when it's the perfect day of spring and you're sitting under the perfect tree and like the right amount of warm sunlight is coming through the leaves and like you can feel it, the hot and the cold from the shade and the sun. That That's what it feels like to me is sometimes I just sit there and I watch these scenes and I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is such life. Ugh. Do you feel like you've already gotten most of the way through doing your creative job at this point? Because that, when you describe that, it seems like a, a, a passive experience. Like, like it, you've created the art and I realize as a director, you have so many jobs and there may still be plenty of other other to do, but. Um, I think that we have successfully passed the torch to the actors mm -hmm. for them to lead each other and trust in each other. I think now the creative job is not done technically. There's still much to be done mm -hmm. within the next couple of days to kind of get that part on its feet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a huge element, especially for the actors, since they're not able to entirely like see exactly how everything's going to look. And it's it, they probably won't see it until the final week yeah. where everything's going to start coming together and it's going to come together really fast. Mm -hmm. And that'll be really interesting to see. That will be fun, though, because mm -hmm. all those technical elements, uh, me, Adrian, um, and Broke Thespians Vice President Tommy Jackson are on Monday going to be there for five or six hours mm -hmm. to cram all those set up and cram all those technical elements within like our found space so that our actors can then come in on Tuesday and be in like a new wonderland. Uh -huh. So that's exciting. You mentioned earlier in the conversation that you start when you did the pitch for the show that you, mm. you had a pretty firm concept of how you wanted to do it. Has your technical concept evolved over the course of rehearsals? <laughs> Not, yes. a, not a big yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I knew that everything would change when I walked into my first production meeting and they went, you can't hang anything on the ceiling. And I was <laughs> like, well, okay. I gotta go talk to some people. Um, so, but I luckily have Adrian who is just, the technical prowess is incredible. And so we've rigged up some ways to do some projections. Um, he's figured out, he suggested and um, is figuring out a way to build that surround sound system for those soundscapes. So yeah, it has definitely evolved from the original idea. I think that's, that's exhausts my line of specific questions, but free form in, in the spirit of the show. Are there any, is there anything interesting about the show that any of you just want to throw out there? Every time I see them perform or just rehearse, I wish the scenes would go on longer. And I think that's one thing that the audience will really enjoy and find surprising about the show is that some scenes are probably, what, six or seven lines, and then the next one will be a pretty lengthy one. And I don't know, it, it's like Katie said, it's a slice of life, and you wish you could see where 
things would go, where these characters are going next, and what they're going to do, how they're going to interact with everyone around them, and it, it's, 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 you move on. And I think that's one of the major themes as well about the show is moving on. I, I don't know. It hits home. Yeah. And you don't find that frustrating? You find it fulfilling in a way? Oh, absolutely. No, it's, it's definitely a positive of the show and just the sheer talent that our cast and crew is able to bring to the show. I'll speak to something that previously mentioned Tommy Jackson Mm -hmm. brought up in our last rehearsal, and it's the feeling in the room with our specific team. There is a huge amount of care and willingness to participate from every person in that room, and without that, a show like this really, really doesn't work half as well as it does now. And I feel very grateful every day. And I know that everyone in the room feels very grateful every day to walk in and experience just the feeling in the room of everyone being ready to catch you when you fall at every single moment. It's incredible. We had an actor at one point mention, say, like saying thank you because they were like, how often do you actually get to play in a play? Mm-hmm. And that is something like as you get older and as you keep grinding this stuff out that you kind of forget that stuff. It's like, we're here to play. Yeah. So I was glad to see, because that's something that I want to build in a space that I value. And so it's nice for someone to offer up that experience. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> okay, good, good. We are exactly where we need to be. This is exactly what we need to set ourselves up for success for something like this all right okay where can people find out about showtimes tickets and all that people can get all that information at broke thespians theater company.org that is theater with an re all right adrian summer katie thank you so much for being here thank you, thank you. Forward to seeing the show. Yeah. <laughs> this has been the community of theater podcast Apologies for the background noises throughout the episode. We recorded this one in my home studio, and that was my dog, Ludo, who very much wanted to be involved, but was unable to respect my guest's personal space. If you'd like to see love and information or support the Broke Thespians more generally, I'll include their link in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review in your podcast app. And if you have feedback of any kind, please reach out to me at communityoftheater at gmail.com or message the show on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and if you're currently in a production, break a leg. There is a door in this production. I know you're on the edge of your seat.